Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Feed the Ball podcast. I'm Derek Duncan, and today I'm speaking with Mark Love. A number of years ago, I was talking to a golf course architect, and I asked him who he admired in the business. Most architecture fans, as well as golf writers like me, have pretty clear opinions of who they think does great work and who's crap. And as you can imagine, we're pretty much never wrong. But this was a chance to get a candid, off-the-record opinion from somebody inside the business, some outlook from someone with skin in the game. I was surprised to hear that one of the first names he mentioned was Love Golf Design, the firm run by Davis Love III and his brother Mark. I was familiar with some of their work and had liked what I'd seen, but I didn't expect it would make an impression on this particular person, someone I respected. So I asked why. The architect, looking at it from a competitor's perspective, said they checked all the boxes. Their designs were smart, stylish, and strategic. They weren't afraid to take chances. They were a small boutique firm that worked with talented creative architects and shapers to execute the work. And on top of it, they had a great universal name brand in Davis Love III. All that was potentially difficult to compete against, he said. And this was back before the Loves had created most of their best courses. Mark and Davis Love got into the course design business in the mid-1990s at the suggestion of a family friend, and we'll get into that later in the podcast. And since then, they've built one or two courses a year on average. Compare that to the other signature player architects who often had 10 or more courses going at once, and you get the idea that theirs is truly a boutique design company. From traveling extensively, Davis as a tour player, with Mark often as his caddy, they saw many of the world's great golf courses and developed a deep appreciation in particular for classical architecture. Most of their designs, especially their later courses, are full of references to Seth Rayner, Donald Ross, and even Pete Dye. A majority of the Love's work is in the southeast, and it's often set on flat or listless sites. I've always been impressed by how they're constantly able to coax interesting, bold, and often fascinating holes out of such neutral terrain. It's no wonder Rayner, Ross, and Dye have had such an influence on them. Has there ever been anyone better than them at getting great golf out of basic properties? While the design process between Mark and Davis and their team is collaborative, Davis, up through now, has continued to devote a great share of his time to playing competitively, not to mention captaining two Ryder Cup teams. It's Mark Love who drives the day-to-day operations of Love Design. From his knowledge of teaching the golf swing to playing competitively, understanding the professional game, helping found and operate a PGA Tour tournament, as well as his experience in design, there are few people who have more expertise in the game of golf than Mark Love. I was happy to be able to track him down for our discussion, and I hope you enjoy listening to our talk. So how are things with you? Have you finally put a bow on this year's RSM Classic and wrapped that up and put it to bed? Yeah, yeah, we're getting close. I mean, uh, you know, it's 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 always interesting. You know, you you got you got all the you know the, the follow up stuff takes takes a little while. Um, it's certainly a slower pace, but uh, there's still plenty going on to kind of wrap up all the bills and uh, work on, you know, renewals and those kind of things. It's sort of an ongoing sales process as you know, but, but yeah, it's slowed down a little bit and we're all, we're all looking forward to the holiday break and, uh, getting a little downtime and then we'll hit the ground running again in January. Yeah. It's turned into a really nice little tournament and Seaside especially looks great on television. Yeah. It looked great this year. Uh, no, no question about it. They did a beautiful job getting it, getting it back after the storm and, um golf course both golf courses were really good but yeah it's it's um you know ran really smoothly this year for the most part and 
guys I think are enjoying it more and more, getting used to you know used to the golf courses and used to being here and it's very relaxed kind of atmosphere. So uh, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's doing good. I know you've played a ton of golf around that area. I mean, you you live there and everything, but had you played a lot of golf on Seaside before before the Tom Fazio remodel? I guess you'd call it. Oh yeah, yeah. We grew up, you know, grew up playing all of our golf here. So this, the, it was sort of a back in that day. It was a combination of four nine holes. Um, so right. you had the Seaside nine, you had the Plantation nine, which was the original. Then you had the Retreat nine, uh, which was a Dick Wilson golf course. And then the the last one built in the seventies was a Joe Lee called Marshside. So we just kind of played a combination of each, depending on you know what the rotation was on a given day but uh you know especially when we played nine holes in the evening that kind of thing it was always the original seaside yeah i was in, had never played the uh original seaside and and marshside nines that fazio com- combined i've seen it since i really i'm a big fan of the golf course are, are there things that you kind of miss about the old presentation of those holes um certainly of the old seaside yeah there's a there's a the 14th hole now is a just a, one of the most difficult par fours out there. It's one of the better holes out there, but it replaced a little short four that I always loved. It was a real kind of strategic short four, had sleepers up in the bunker to hold the face up, you know, just a big old flash face bunker and an elevated green. And and it was a really, really cool hole, and I miss it. The, the current 12th hole, which is a nice long par three, now you're familiar enough with it right yes absolutely yeah Yeah, so so the 12th was just a a little flat roundish green sitting up on top of a hill as Mm. opposed to the way it sort of you know faces you now um so you you actually couldn't really see the green surface and it just kind of fell away gently on all sides and um no bunkers uh, but you know you could hit anywhere from a you know a driver when it was you know a stiff northeast wind to a to a five iron when it was when it was coming the other direction um hard green to hold uh but just that it was a that was a really neat hole um yeah. now it's just a a really just big long par three but with a really big green yeah yeah so uh yeah so it's a it's a kind of a completely different shot going into that green than used to be um so yeah i I miss some things about the original one i i i I think it was something that had to be done i think at the time you know we were like oh my gosh you're gonna get rid of the you know this great colt mouse and nine holes but at the end of the day for the success of the resort and and that you know no knock on on marsh side but it wasn't it wasn't you know that that great of a golf course, and then right. basically you played Seaside and and what was called the old Retreat Nine. The Dick Wilson was kind of the the championship combination, and Marshside was you know typically your your last choice of the four. Even though it had some so, of the most spectacular views, the holes themselves were were a little skimpy. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. It was kind of kind of short and congested, and you know that the the, the the second hole now um, was a was a par five that you you could drive it into that lake, uh, mm-hmm. so you had to kind of drive it over the trees and into a you know an area you couldn't see, and it was it was a little funky. <laughs> and uh, the the first hole was much shorter than it is now. It was a it was a driver and a flip wedge. Um, so you know, there's no question that 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 combination of eighteen holes was better than the combination of eighteen holes, even though you were playing the 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 seaside nine 
the Colton Allison nine, but um, but it it needed to be done, and and they did a great job with it. I you know I've always said Tom's courses, Fatty of courses, typically you know the bunkering is very very similar anywhere you go, um, but they really you know use that sort of Colton Allison style with the big sweeping larger bunkers without a lot of movement in them. Um, so I was impressed that they didn't that they used that uh that style rather than kind of what they would typically do mm-hmm. uh, i thought that was a good move and you're uh, i guess getting ready to start a renovation of the plantation 18 which is the old uh retreat and plantation nines and that was around the same time that seaside was redeveloped uh, reese jones combined those two into a contiguous 18 hole course what are your plans for that i'm pretty excited about because i never really thought much of the plantation 18 well, you know, Reese was was I, I don't want to say hamstrung, but you know, he he did. That was the the first nine that was done was the was the original plantation nine, and he did nine at a time. And it, at that time, they they didn't quite have the commitment to the financial piece of it, so it was not, you know, sort of a. Even though he did new greens, it was not you know as substantial a renovation as the back nine. So they they didn't. They don't necessarily fit real well together, and you know, and and it's a good golf course, but it's kind of it's kind of sometimes hard for the wrong reasons. Um, a lot of bunkering out there that that's difficult for for the you know the average hotel guest and uh, and you know older membership. But uh, it's a good golf course, but it has you know potential to to kind of you know our idea is sort of to go back to some of the the things that were you know here historically. Um, which were, you know, sort of more of a flat sand, grass face kind of kind of bunkering. Um, there's sort of some bulkhead out there that, you know, may not have been on the original nine, but it's been there a long, long time. Same goes for just some of the accents on the Avenue of the Oaks. There's some, you know, wood sleepers on some of the creeks and things. So, you know, our, our idea is kind of to, you know, draw on a little bit of rainer and a little bit of, you know, sort of old school dye with, uh, with some of the bulkheading and, and, and do something that, uh, you know, everybody says it, but, you know, that's, that's hopefully a little more playable every day for the, for, again, the average hotel guest and average member, but still has some challenge for the good players. And, you know, we certainly are not, are not, focusing on the fact that there's a one tournament round out there but you can do things to to create you know some uh some difficult pins for whatever it is whether it's a pga tour event or the you know our, our you know state golf association state pga uh they all have events here um, so you can do things that uh, that you know create some pins that are a little more challenging for them but you know every day they can set it up in a way that um you know, is a little more fun and a little more playable uh, for the average player. Mm-hmm. And you'll try to pull some of that rain or die influence over onto the retreat side of the property as well, kind of make it all tie together. Because right now they're, they're, they don't really match up that well. Like you gave the reason why, but it'd do the course well if you could infuse that even through the old Dick Wilson, Reese Jones side of the property. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's the intent. I mean, um, there's, a, there's a lot of things that are really high on the backside, and most of the front side is very low. Right. You know, you, you just had a lot more opportunity to bring dirt in on the other side. Mm-hmm. You know, I think in some cases maybe it's a little too high. So sort of maybe bring some of the dirt from the, from the, you know, the back over to the front. <laughs> um, and, and, yeah, and make all those things sort of tie together with, uh, with, with the bunkering and the, 
the strategies and the, the look and feel of the golf course. Right. So around 2008, uh, you guys were finishing up or in the middle of building Diamante Dunes down in Cabo San Lucas. Uh, that's also the, the, about the time when the economy crashed in this country, uh, housing market collapsed. And it, it was always my perception around that time that Love Golf Design kind of backed away a little bit uh, when, you know, there weren't a lot of jobs, everything froze up for everybody. But it didn't, I didn't ever got the impression that you guys went out and, and chased jobs. You kind of just let everything lie and wait until the economy back and the phone started ringing again. Am I, do I have that right? Did, were you all just kind of focusing on different things for a, a period of time there before things have started recently to pick back up again? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's definitely accurate. I mean, we had, um, gosh, right when that 08 thing happened, we were, I think we had maybe three under construction and, and four or so in, in planning phases and um, had a lot going on. And then, um, you know, like everybody else, we had to we had to make some decisions on, <laughs> on what we were going to do when they all started going away. So um, we sort of you know, like you say, we backed off. I mean, a lot of guys went, you know, went the Asia route and chased a bunch of renovation stuff. Renovation, the minor stuff has always been difficult for us because it, it is, you know, Davis is part of the, the process and, and, you know, he's playing. And from a financial standpoint, a lot of those projects didn't make a lot of sense for us. They needed uh, the, you know, the Hanses of the world that... <laughs> that could uh come in there and, and and do everything you know kind of as a one-man show i mean i know he had his support folks but but it was easier for a lot of folks to do that and, and a little more difficult for us so you know davis focused on playing we focused on you know some other business things and um and then of course we we got involved with the pga tour event here and started running that and getting that up and going was was close to a full-time deal so it was it was great that we had the opportunity to do that because i always say i don't know what i'd have done you know davis would have kept playing (laughs) but you know i'm not sure what i would have done if we hadn't started that and it gave me the opportunity to you know to help our community from a you know another big week of of tourism which is what our community is kind of based around um you know generate money for charities that were struggling over that time period, you know, bring some exposure to, to the resort and, and the island. Um, so it was a it was a good opportunity and good timing to, to step back from the design stuff and do that. Uh, but I missed it terribly. Um, and then when we got the opportunity to do the, the course up in Hilton Head for uh, the Sea Pines folks, I was ecstatic. Um, and since then, you know, we've had, you know, like you say, phones rang a little bit and um, you know, got a couple of things going and, and hopefully, uh, can continue that trend now that there's, there's more activity. There's, you know, folks that are trying to rebrand things, uh, do complete renovations rather than just sort of, sort of the small projects like bunkers and, you know, or green resurfacing and that kind of thing. Um, and that's, that really kind of fits our, our business to do more of those things. So, um, mm-hmm. It's it's uh, timing's worked out okay. Yeah, you've always been a pretty small operation though, and handled you know what what do you like to do one or two projects at a time? Um, yeah, I mean if we if we the- have yeah if we had three under construction at one time we would you know we would push things off uh, or pass on things or, or what have you. It's just we're, we're you know we're extremely hands on 
mostly myself and whoever our, our lead architect is at the time. You know, we have had a, a couple of them over the years. But um, extremely hands-on, and, and, of course, Davis likes to be involved as much as he can. And uh, with his schedule, as it is, certainly in the last, you know, six, seven years between two Ryder Cups right. and, um, you know, tour, tour board and, you know, injuries, et cetera, you know, just, just hard to get to much more than that. So that's about that's about what works for us. So nice to have a, a couple a couple in the planning stages and a couple under construction, and we'd be perfectly happy with that. Yeah, I think what a lot of people don't understand, or maybe I shouldn't say that, but they just don't know about uh, your design firm is you are really hands on. You're a very you're a small design build firm. That phrase is pretty popular right now because the you know Tom Doak's got his guys and. Coor and Crenshaw have their shapers that they always use. Gahans has himself and Jim Wagner. And you've always been very hands-on, very small. You've used some really some of the most creative people in the in the business, like Paul Cowley and Forrest Fesler and and other people like like that. You really like have that kind of oversight and that that creative input on a day-to-day basis, don't you? Yeah, we do. I mean, we started the business with um, with an old family friend, Bob Spence, right, who yeah. uh, has been in the business forever, um, built golf courses for George Cobb for years and years, and he, he taught at Golf Digest with, with our father, and um, he's kind of the one that came came to us and said, you know, would you guys be interested, you know, Davis, would you be interested in doing some golf courses and, and, um, and got us kind of into it. And he was a field guy. So that's that between that and Davis following Ben's early career, you know, I remember, uh, being on an airplane with Ben and Davis going from one place to another and Ben breaking out his big old folder of images of sandhills. Um, and you know, and when Davis Davis tells a great story about they were playing together somewhere, and um, I, I don't know whether it was a Tillinghast, I don't know what the golf course was, but but you know they're in a threesome playing an event, and they got to talking about the greens, and in a little while they look over and the, the playing partner's like, "Are you guys going to putt, or you, you just going <laughs> to keep talking?" So you know he kind of he kind of got some of that passion from from listening and watching Ben and of course you know he was here uh, when Reese did Ocean Forest and uh, when Tom did did Seaside and then and then Frederica and they were you know nice to kind of include him in that um, so yeah I mean that that's kind of the way we we came into it and we always wanted to be hands on and and Ben and you know, Bob kind of impressed on Davis and me that, you know, the only way to do it, if you want to do it right, is to is to be there and, you know, and and, and not spend too much of people's money, you know, coming in and redoing things that were already done. You know, that's the other piece of it. Um, and Spence was a was a real practical guy because he he ran and managed golf courses and owned golf courses at, at one time. And, you know, we always said, we want to spend the money as if it's our money. <laughs> so we don't want to do things twice, if at all possible. So that's that's just kind of the way we, we you know, we got into it. And, and that's sort of the, the mentality we stuck with. You built your first courses in what, like 1994 or 95, sometime around in that era? Yeah, that's about right. I want to say the little Fripp Island course the Fripp, was yep. the first one we did, and and I think it, uh, I think it was ninety three or ninety four that that one opened. 
Yeah. Um, and then we did, we only did one a year for, you know, handful of years. And then, you know, we had a few years where we were doing a couple a year, but, uh, but yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a long time and, and I think it's up to, you know, 24, 25 projects at this point over that time period. Yeah. If you think back on it, that was a, a different era in golf design that was pre sand hills i know you just mentioned that's a great story about how ben was showing davis the the sketches and what they were doing out there but it hadn't really opened yet it hadn't opened people's eyes to that sort of hands-on handcrafted style of design um which is what you ended up getting into as you just explained but you must so you knew at an early stage with davis being on board you didn't want to go down the pure signature route like the nicholas and the palmer design where you know they had a fleet of of associates who were you know doing most of the work and general contractors and they'd show up a few times to sign off on everything and shift a bunker here or there or, you know make a, a change to justify their their appearance and, and their fee as, as well so it's really interesting that you got into it knowing that you wanted to be a small hands-on handcrafted firm uh yeah yeah absolutely i mean that, that's you know like i said that's just sort of the the mentality that uh again between bob spence and, and ben and and uh you know they were as you said a little ben and bill were sort of early on in that there were yeah. guys doing it but not on on a, the level they were and and that's that's just kind of yeah so um, you were, you were cutting against the the grain even back at the very beginning what were some of the other conversations that you and davis had when you were contemplating open up your design business did you have a certain style or image of of golf courses that you wanted to create what were your what were some of your early discussions well i think i think um davis would always say you know we were obviously we were out there on the road a lot together during the early years of that and um you know i don't i don't you know you don't want to you don't want to knock things that that had been done or, or more of the recent golf courses but his point was Every time, what, what does everybody like? The old, the, the the classic golf courses. You know, I mean, guys would get excited about going to places where, you know, it was a it was a traditional, you know, sort of old school golf course. Do you and, mean guys like on the tour when you were traveling? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Like uh, like tour players, you know, they, they would they would get excited about going to places like a you know Greenbrier wasn't happening then, but I use Greenbrier as an example or. Um, you know, uh, uh, Riviera or you know, Westchester, you know, and, and, you know, that's kind of the golf courses that he always liked, you know, always, you know, excited about majors because for the most part, they were going to great old golf courses and, and no particular style. You know, I think that was another thing Davis always said is, look, I, I would never want somebody to walk out on a golf course and say, Oh, this looks like a Davis love golf course. Um, because that means we're doing the same thing over and over again. And I like, I like a Rainer. I like a Tillinghast. I like a Ross. Um, let's let the, the property sort of dictate, you know, and, and the end user and, um, you know, the, the area. Now, most of what we've done is, is in the Southeast for, for the, for the biggest part, but, um, but let the land dictate, you know, and, and who the end user are and the goals of the, the owner, um, sort of dictate, you know, a style, and then let's roll with that style. So you you'll play if you went and played a handful of our golf courses, you'll see a number of different uh, influences and styles uh, between the bunkering, uh, you know, 
Green's contouring is is pretty similar, but you know the 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 you know the landscape elements, the the bunker styles uh, will be will be varied, and we like that. We think that's you know fun and interesting, and and we like it to fit and feel like it's uh it's it's sort of been there for a long time if we can pull that off yeah a lot of your golf courses especially the ones that i've seen do kind of have that that rainer style of feel in the bunkers what what rainer courses have you seen that really made an impact on you on you personally um starting with with chicago golf club davis was in chicago for something uh, you know, we we had already done I don't know four or five six golf courses, and um, and he played Chicago Golf Club and just kind of fell in love with it, and and we were getting started on a new project and I don't remember which one it was. It might have been Kinderloo Forest or Irish Creek in in North Carolina. I can't remember which one, but mm-hmm. he said, "Man, we got to we got to do one in this style." I just love this golf course. So, you know, I went and saw it. Um, we we you know broke out the I think it was the George Bato book right on um, yeah on Rainer and golf. yeah and um, you know and and amassed a bunch of pictures and you know got Bob Spence engaged and we said all right this, this is what we're going to do and and went that route and uh, and and it turned out great and we loved it so you know but again you know you go to Hilton Head that we just did and you know it's a completely different style it's more of a low country uh Corn Crenshaw if you will kind of kind of bunker style because you know we felt like that was a great contrast to to Harbor Town um and there was another there's another dive course right there at the same property where uh, we did uh Atlantic Dunes mm-hmm. Heron Point yeah I um, to and play um, that too yeah, Heron Point, and uh, and you know it was another die golf course, so we wanted to do something different and, and went with a different bunker style, and it turned out, I think, turned out really nice too. So, you know, it, you know, he's influenced by again by you know a core and Crenshaw course, you know, uh, and, and back to your initial question. So, started with Chicago Golf Club. He um, has been to Fishers. I have not been to Fishers, but he loved it. You know, I've played a good bit in in Charleston at both Yeamans and Country Club of Charleston been to Mountain Lake. Um, and as a matter of fact, I just went uh, last week. We had some PGA Tour meetings in South Florida, and um, I was lucky enough to make some arrangements and go see the Everglades Club down in South Florida, oh, which yeah. uh, is really, really cool. Very neat. It's on like 80 acres, you know, so it's a it's a compact little golf course, but, but just great strategies and, and wonderful green contours. And um, so... Yeah, Mountain Lake and you know south of Orlando. Yep. So uh, I, we've got a we've got a uh, over a, a video of um, uh, West Hampton uh, on Long Island uh, that I have not actually been to, but there's a great video flyover of it that we're sort of using as a bit of a model for the renovation uh, here at Plantation. So, yeah. uh, so again, I mean, you know, we're, we're going to sort of do that style here, but we've got a project in, uh, Virginia where we're going to do a, um, a renovation of the, uh, Birdwood golf course, uh, for the university of Virginia. And, um, you know, and, and that style is going to be back to, you know, a little more, you know, rough edge kind of, you know, kind of bunker style. So, um, still kind of doing the same thing, letting, letting, the property dictates sometimes and 
and mixing it up a little bit to uh, to keep it interesting. Yeah, it's interesting that to me that you mentioned that at Atlantic Dunes you went kind of with a Corn and Crenshaw style. I've been thinking about this topic a lot lately about the middle part of the 20th century. I just did a story on Robert Trent Jones and his golf courses in Georgia. And you, you already said, well, you know, we'd used Corn Crenshaw a little bit or that style uh, on this course. We, you almost never hear an architect say, oh, I'm, you know, on this golf course, I went with the big Robert Trent Jones green, or I went with a Dick Wilson style of bunkering. <laughs> Do you have any, any thoughts on that? Why did we just, you know, we b- bypass, you know, 30 or 40 years to go and go straight to, you know, the Rainer and the Ross style. But, you know, those guys in the, who came in that generation afterwards get, get zero respect. Is that justified? Um, I, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if it is. I don't know if it's justified. I, I, you know, I know there's some, you know, they built some fantastic golf courses, um, you know, I, I think routings and, and strategically and, you know, um, in terms of green contours, um, that era produced some, some good stuff. Um, you know, I don't know. If they did a lot of damage, a, too. So maybe that's, yeah, you know, that's the other side of it. They, they did. And, and I don't know if, um, if, if some of it had to do with modernization of equipment, maybe, <laughs> you know, um, and, and things got you know, lost some of that, that hand built mm-hmm. stuff that, that, that might not have been intentional, you know, um, just, just part of the difficulty of doing what they were doing at the time. They didn't have the tools to, you know, move the, uh, the amount of dirt and, you know, and, and bust up rocks or, you know, whatever it is. And, and I'm not, you know, fully vetted that, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, I that, that, that idea. I'm going to have to, I'm going to, explore this this more but yeah you just you never hear anybody with high praise for robert trent jones anymore he's he's really uh he's really taken a beating these last 10 or 15 years especially considering he was the most dominant architect and the one of the most influential architects that we've ever seen yeah yeah it is that it is it is a, a very interesting point and i don't i don't know yeah. that i have much of an answer I, for it but uh but yeah. so uh just when when you've land a project and you and you've got a site and a, and a developer to, or an owner to work with can you d- describe the process of how your company works what what's the first thing that happens uh the first thing that happens is we is we kind of try to understand the scope of what they're trying to accomplish you know w- what is it that you're trying to to achieve you know is it you know reducing some holes and, and creating you know these days you have to help you know, sometimes create ways for them to to get more value out of it. You know, there, there's a number of those things going on these days where there may be 27 holes and they want to repurpose nine of it and, you know, redo the other 18 and, and kind of reinvent it. Um, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, hey, we need more activities for, for you know, beginners and, and youth and, you know, get activity out there, whether that's short courses or putting courses. But uh, but we start with, you know, I would say, you know, property, what are you trying to achieve and, you know, and what's the financial situation? You know, what do the budgets look like? And let's see if there's a fit for us and what you're trying to do. So that's kind of, I think, the uh, the initial steps for us. So we'll put some time and thought into into those things. Are they, you know, starting with is is the property conducive for us to do something that we'd be pleased with? 
Um, can we achieve their goals? And can we do it for the amount of money that they're they're willing to to invest in it uh, to see number one if if we're compatible? Uh, and then once we've determined that, um, it's a matter of jumping into you know getting getting the numbers together for them so everybody can kind of kind of see what that looks like, including a style. And and each one of those, you know, I think anybody would tell you each one of these visits. Uh, can be very, very different. You know, you have some owners who know exactly what they're wanting to achieve and and what they have and what they want to do with it. And there's others who who don't who don't really have a good, clear idea of what they what they want to achieve. So uh, some of it is is uh, is understanding who the client is and and helping them get to the point of of you know understanding what they've got. Um, and and whether they can achieve what they're trying to achieve. And how do how do you and Davis typically interact? And what's what do each of you carry into the project? Well, um, you know, typically initial meetings, and, and again, they're all very different. There's times when you know Davis runs into somebody on the road and or or finds out about something uh, through you know whatever a connection. Uh, and he may go make an initial visit just to check something out because it's it's more convenient at, at the time. But typically, myself and and uh, you know A. Paul Cowley or Scott Sherman, who's done a bunch of work with us here recently, will make an initial visit to to sort of hash all of those original things out. And um, once we're at a point where we say, look, this this looks like a real deal. They're interested in us. We're interested in the project. Uh, then we we typically will will say you know next steps um, depending on what their process is you know if it's a process of you know we're going to narrow it down to four firms um, you know we'll come back explain the the property today was obviously we'll have some some materials from the site and and kind of explain to him what's going on and if we have to go do a presentation you know he'll he'll join us for that. And we'll try to paint the picture for those folks of what that is. So for the most part, you know, I don't know if you call it sales, but, you know, myself and one of the lead architects will go and explore it. We'll put together what we need to put together to uh, to try and, and uh, you know, propose for the job. Um, and then we'll get Davis engaged. And, um, you know, if we move to the to the next level, I mean, obviously I handle all the business side of it. Um, and then... You know, we'll get him there as soon as possible to start um, working on this, the idea of, of what's the look and feel of the place so that we can put together, meaning, you know, architect and myself put together, you know, imagery and, and you know, maybe an initial routing that the three of us will kind of kind of work on and hash out. And, we, you know, these days it's easy to share those things, you know, via, via email, regardless of where everybody is, um, to kind of hone in on that look and feel and then go back and, and present that to uh, to the developer slash owner. And then, you know, once we get going, you know, obviously, um, you know, I spend a good deal of time in the field. Architect will spend, you know, more, if not the same amount, more in the field. Um, and then we'll pull Davis in, you know, early on when we're sort of getting started and say, all right, are we are we on the right track? Obviously, we will have done a lot more work on the routing together up until up until that point when we start construction, and then um, you know, and, and then in key times we bring Davis in. We we never really try to do anything that is 
is considered, you know, finished and, and, you know, and, and, um, and moving to a new area before he's laid eyes on it. And we're all in agreement that we like it typically do that, you know, again, with, with the owner's representative. And, um, and then we, and then we move on to the next piece of it until we, uh, until we get all the way through the golf course. Golf magazine recently listed Diamante, the dunes course that you built that opened, I think in 2009 as the 36th best course in the world. Was that a, a project? You know, it was one of the great sites. It's a, Sandy, dunesy, like it says, site that's that's right on the sea. Lots of potential, lots of natural features to work with. Was that a project where you did more designing in the field, letting things develop naturally as you're working on it? Yes, absolutely. In terms of, in terms of, uh, I would say, in terms of bunkering and strategy, routing wise, we spent a, you know, I, I wouldn't say the same scenario that. Bill and Ben had in Sandhills because I think they had a lot more options. Kind of like 130. But there was a lot of yeah. There's a lot of different ways that 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 routing um, in in Mexico could have gone. Um, so we spent a good deal of time on the routing there because there were so many opportunities to have natural green sites. You know, we wanted it to be as walkable as possible. Um, you had those great dunes and tea sites with great views. So. That was, you know, as opposed to some sites where uh, the routing is is dictated by a lot of factors, whether it's wetlands and, you know, clubhouse location, practice range, um, you know, you wind up, you know, at times not having as many, you know, natural things to work with. Um, So, so that was, I, I think, an instance where we spent a whole lot more time in the field with the routing and then and then trying to move as little as possible through that process and then once we once we had determined that and got to building then it was about you know how wide do we how wide do we make things how you know what are we doing with the bunker strategies you know if 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 this is the natural green site how much if any are we going to move and and how does that relate to you know the strategy coming into those greens so I would say yes, uh, certainly more infield design, but um, but in addition to that, more um, more time in the in the routing process. Was that one of the most satisfying experiences that you've had designing and building golf courses? You know, those, those sites come along so infrequently, and, and you got one of them. How how satisfying in a career retrospective this to this point was the Diamante? Uh, well, extremely, extremely satisfying. As you said, I mean, it's so much of it is site driven and, and we may never, <laughs> we would love to someday get another opportunity like that. You know, the, the, the guys, guys are getting some opportunities in Florida at stream song and, and, you know, guys have gotten opportunities at, at some of the, you know, the, the, the band and dunes and some of those places. Um, so we would love to get another opportunity like that but uh, you know as i said to davis i mean if if we if if we never get to do another one you know at least at least we got the opportunity to do that um so at least once we got the kind of site that that you can you can have that kind of you know flexibility and success and and um as we said we just had to make sure we didn't we didn't mess it up you know i mean it was it was it was that good so 
Um, so tremendously satisfying, right. I guess, to answer your question. I, you know, we'd love to be able to do it again, but very thankful that, um, you know, Ken Jowdy and the developers down there at Diamante gave us a, the opportunity uh, to work on a site like that. We hope someday, someday get another opportunity. But in the meantime, we take a lot of satisfaction out of, um, again, doing things like we did at Sea Pines and taking a golf course that, that you know, was sort of the you know the stepchild of the of the resort and turning it into something that you know people are enjoying and you know day in and day out and and they love it and it's good looking it's fun and strategic and you know and there's a lot of enjoyment in that too so I'll editorialize for a second here and say one of the things that I really like about your firm and the courses that you design is you actually don't need a site like Diamante or a really fascinating site. Kindred is a pretty good site. But the way you design golf courses and your thoughtfulness and the features and the shaping and the strategies and the, the bunker shapes, you can take a flat side and put a really, really interesting golf course on it. You've done it before. So um, it's just one of the things that your firm does and, and does really well. Uh, regardless of site, the work's really interesting and, and creative. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I mean, it, 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 you know, we've been influenced by, by a lot of things and, and have been lucky to see a lot of golf courses around the, around the country and around the world. And, you know, and it, it, that's really what it takes. I mean, it takes, you know, you got to have the creativity. So you got to have the right team with, with some creativity to do that. You got to be willing to take some chances. I mean, you know, I, I'd say we've done some things that, you know, that might not, <laughs> That, that might have pushed the edge a little bit, um, but what are you, you th- be are you thinking to, of anything in particular? Um, you know, I, we, we've done we've done some things that, um, you know, I, I think of uh, the retreat course we did here for Sea Island. Um, it I think the whole works really really well, but a short four uh, that. It was was somewhat drivable when it was downwind. There was a lake that we really couldn't uh, adjust very much for for you know uh, reasons of of the wetlands, and so we kind of we kind of took the Baritz idea and we turned it you know more uh, sideways, if you will, um, and did a big ten thousand square foot Baritz green with two shelves on either side, with the low in the middle uh, where you. You know, you could drive it across the lake and kind of up between a couple of bunkers oh, and into the, the middle. The sixth hole, right? Right. Yeah. But if you but if you laid it up, you know, out to the left with a short layup, you had two little small targets on the two shelves. Um, but you know, it's a it, it <laughs> it's a huge green in a in a you know sort of a uh, odd place, I guess. And and it's my, uh, it's and, my and favorite maybe, hole out there. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. So. You know, but you take some chances on doing something that's a little different. But, you know, that's influenced by so many stuff. I mean, you take uh, Barefoot Landing and the, the ruins at Barefoot Landing. You know, that in our mind was, was taking a chance to build something that didn't exist and then treat it as, you know, sort of a ruins that could could potentially get hokey and not work. But that particular area needed something otherwise it was just going to be completely dull um it gave a reason for us to move some dirt and have a high that affected four holes that were were surrounded by wetlands and you know it turned out to be a feature that that um you know really was the the postcard for that barefoot resort even though 
Fazio, Dye, and Norman all did golf courses there. And that was early on in our career. But um, we give Paul Cowley a lot of credit for that one because he was, he was the man who figured out, you know, he's so super talented, not only on the golf course design side, but then on the architectural side. So, you know, it was authentic ruins that we, he wound up having some guys shoot up the bricks and, you know, planted stuff on it and knocked things down, built it and then knocked it down. And all of that was influenced by golf in Europe, you know, where North Barrick, you know, playing over a wall or up against a wall or whatever. So it let us create strategy for, you know, four holes that um, was really, really interesting. Um, but, you know, that was sort of taking a chance. You know, we've got a course that basically never opened, um, was built about the same time as uh, Diamante, a little bit after Diamante. You're going to say um, Rice Fields. Rice Fields, yeah. So it's and, such a um, great golf course. Did you see? Yeah, so you've seen yeah, that one. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, we got we got a hole that's, uh, you know, you got a, you got a green that that sits short of and then up and onto a dike and then more green on the backside of the dike. Mm-hmm. So it's basically a reverse Baritz. <laughs> and Davis's comment was, uh, I don't know, something to the effect of, well, I can't say that on the podcast, but um, it, you can uh, say it. Uh, Go ahead. I, he said, I, I just like we had the guts to build that, you know. Because people are going to say that is that is strange, but it's fun, you know. People and it people works in that use, part of the golf course because those I don't, yeah you you the simulated you try to rice paddy skip it off the front and and up onto the little plateau and that that's on the dike and then you know if if it's a little too hot it goes over but it's 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 not impossible to two putt from either place up onto the top. So anyway, it's it's just kind of cool and interesting. Didn't, but didn't you carry um, out that same concept in the fairway as well? I think they're like those. those well, yes, yes. The 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 fairways, you know, the, there's a whole sort of dike system. We basically recreated rice fields mm-hmm. that that existed in the marsh, but but brought it into an open area that was planted pines and and very dull, and and opened all that up, moved a lot of dirt, and made rice fields that. You know, what, one, two, three, four, that, you know, four or five holes work their way around and, and use those those elements as parts of the, the strategy of the golf holes. So, yeah. I, I really hope that the owner is able to get things back on track there and, and that course reopens and they invest the money to get it back into shape because that could easily be one of the best golf courses in the state, in my opinion. It's really fascinating property and great, great architecture, too. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's 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 a pretty neat place. So you know, uh, hopefully it's just a matter of time, and and we can be patient, and eventually there'll there'll be somebody that uh, figure out how to how to make the make the place work, yeah. and and we'll be able to go in there and and uh, spruce it back up, and and give people an opportunity to see it. Yeah. So um, most teaching pros that I've ever met don't have a particular interest in in golf design or historical architecture. You know, that's their concentration lies elsewhere. Did your father have an interest in architecture or, you know, a great appreciation of the old historic golf courses? Uh, he did. He did. He, um, you know, I don't think we talked a great deal about architects necessarily growing up. And, and you know, we we did the typical tinkering around with stuff as kids, you know, drawing golf holes, et cetera. But, 
Um, but he was, uh, you know, he, he, he spent a lot of time in the Northeast as a club pro when he was kind of playing the tour and, and working uh, before coming to Atlanta. Um, he was hired at Atlanta Country Club um, prior to the golf course being constructed. So he was kind of part of that process and, and I think was, you know, somewhat involved and interested in it. Um, so he certainly, you know, played all throughout the, the Met section. So he saw all of those great golf courses and, you know, was a, was a student of the game. Yeah. Focus on instruction, but, but, you know, he was a good player, loved to go play in the British open, the open championship. Um, so, um, so I think he was influenced by all of that. And we have, we actually have a very neat, uh, little piece in our office that, um, he, he laid out a, a nine hole course in, um, in Korea when he was in the war and, and it describes the, the nine, nine holes and describes the nines. And it sounds a little bit like reading a, a, a Ross, um, a Donald Ross notes, you know, do this to the, uh-huh. you know, to the greens plus one here and do, you know, tilt left to right, blah, whatever. And, um, and it's really, it's really cool to have that. Um, and, and it, you know, unfortunately, he passed before we got into this in this way, and so it'd be. And I had never seen that. It it surfaced somewhere, and we framed it and and put it in our office. But would have been nice to hear, you know, how he came about doing that, and you know whether that was influenced by notes of Ross courses, maybe where he had worked in the past or what. So we don't really know that much, you know how deeply his interest was in that but but I do know that he 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 was interested in it and uh you know and he, he was he tinkered the old island club um I remember you know just sort of vaguely remember uh him being involved in some some things that happened there when they were Sea Island was just doing some work to it uh, after they bought it it was not a, an originally uh Sea Island owned property um so they it, it sort of had kind of grown over and was was not in use when Sea Island bought it, so they came back in and kind of in house uh, had to clean it back up and and do some things and make some changes. And I recall him being involved in that a little bit. Uh, so you know, so I, I think he did he did dabble in it a little bit and and uh, probably would have liked to have done more given the opportunity. Yeah, certainly would I'm sure would have been involved in the things that you and Davis would be building. Yeah, I, I would, I would, yeah, I would hope so. <laughs> but you know, you, you, who knows, who knows what direction things would have gone uh, if he'd have been still around. Um, you he, know, he might have told I, you, I, you I might be, the stuff you were building was was a bridge too far. Dial it back, guys. Well, who, who knows? <laughs> I mean, you know, I might be teaching golf uh, as a as a living instead of as a hobby. Uh, no telling. So, um, well, what what about but, you? When did you, when did that architecture design bug first bite you? Was it when you were a a boy? Did you, were you interested in it, or was it not until till later? And uh, Davis was out on the tour, and you started to become exposed to different golf courses around the country. Yeah, I think I, I I definitely think the latter. I don't think I paid much attention to it until um, until I was out there with him and traveled a bunch and saw more golf courses and and, and thought about it more in terms of 
you know, uh, that caddy's perspective, you know, how you have to work your way around the golf course. I think it was a gradual thing. Certainly, you know, always loved. I mean, I didn't know it at the time, but I always loved going to Pinehurst. Um, you know, I would spend, they did golf digest schools there in the summertime. And, you know, there were years that I'd spend two weeks at Pinehurst. And while the whole staff was, was, uh, uh, was teaching during the day, uh, I had free run <laughs> to run around the golf courses and play golf. And so, you know, one, two, three, uh, the old four, I would just go to where it was open and play golf until they got done teaching. Um, I'd get a lesson at lunchtime, and then uh, the staff would, when they finished for the day, we'd go play golf. And that was, you know, Toski and, and Flick and Bob Costas wow. and, uh, and, and Sam Sneed one year uh, was a playing sort of the on-course instructor. So great people to be around. But anyway, I, I don't think I realized it until sort of later in life. And when Bob Spence came to Davis and, and, and talked about doing this and we got the first opportunity, it was sort of, you know, I was caddying for Davis, but we always said, again, not, not I'm, I'm rambling, but, you know, I started my career teaching here for Sea Island. And then after a year or so of that, you know, Davis said, Hey, why don't you come out with me? I, I, you know, I'm working with Jack Lumpkin. You, you watch everything we do together. You can help me do what Jack's trying to get me to do on the road. And the idea was, was certainly not that, uh, you know, at the time necessarily going to make a career out of the caddying profession, but to go do that for a while and, and kind of see whatever, what else kind of came up. And, and, you know, initially it was probably back to, to instruction, but, but Bob came to us at that time and we got the opportunity at Fripp and, you know, that gave us a chance to do it. And, and I think I just kind of right there and that first project sort of fell in love with it and knew, uh, I, I wanted to jump in and learn more and start reading about it and, uh, and learn from Bob. And, and, uh, and so, you know, I steadily realized that sort of, that I loved that, <laughs> that part of it. And I, I still do. I'm not, I'm not much of the nuts and bolts guy. Um, I, I'm, I've learned a lot. Um, but you know, in terms of the, the shaping and the features and the strategy, um, I just, I just love it. I can sit and watch, you know, shapers, uh, for hours and hours and hours. My, my other probably favorite project that we did is we did a renovation of Brunswick country club where, we grew up playing a lot of our high school golf and um, we actually had a membership over there, even though we were members here because there was a lot more juniors over there when we were growing up. And uh, my dad wanted us exposed to that. And um, we got the opportunity to, to help them uh, renovate that golf course, restore that golf course. We had the original Ross greens diagrams. And the beauty of that project is it had never been touched. It, 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 had turned from a country club into a little bit more of a blue collar club. And now it's kind of reversed back out of that, but, uh, but they didn't have the money to really do anything with it. Um, so all of the sort of the features that he called out in terms of the mounds and, you know, that are, that are, uh, it's a flat piece of ground. Um, all of those, you know, were there, but the greens had shrunk over time and, and, you know, come up from all the top dressing, et cetera. So we were able to kind of peel that off and put back these original Ross greens. And 
we basically would do one every couple of days and we'd put it back exactly to to as best we could to Ross's diagrams and then step back and look at it. And when we felt like we had it right, then we'd core it out and, you know, and finish it off. And it was just, you know, super satisfying to sit there all day on a, on a bucket on a mound and, and watch that green be transformed from what we played all those years to this, you know, this, you know, Ross green with so much character. Um, it just a, fabulous experience so anyway I, I i love that part of it and um you know I'm, I'm i'm pleased we we're back with some opportunities to do some of it so having a lot of fun with that and you know now we're going to get to do the plantation course you know i'm I'm looking out my office window at it right now mm-hmm. our tournament office is here at sea island and so i'm going to be able to come to work every day and see the golf course and then and then come work on some other things and pop out there off and on. So that's going to be a great treat. I, I tell everyone that I meet who I know is going down to uh, that area that they need to stop in and play Brunswick. The, the greens, like you described, are they have so much character and movement. It's fascinating. The rest of the golf course is dead flat and not very long. But once you get around the greens, it's in a category of its own around here. And you know, half the time people have play, played it and come back and they're like, I don't get it. What's so great about it? But that's the thing about architecture, yeah. you know, like if, if you're, you know, just into it, like, like we are, then, then that's those greens types of greens like that are some of the most fascinating things you can come across. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's an, it's an interesting, it's an interesting business because, you know, it is in the eye of the beholder, you know, um, and, and you're influenced by things that, that you don't necessarily know you're influenced by, you know, and, and, and somebody might have grown, grown up on a certain golf course that, you know, to them, you know, that's where they found the joy of the game. And, you know, that's that's the way it's supposed to be. And you do something that's see something dramatically different than that. And you're like, oh, well, I don't I don't like this. But you know, it's it's personal preference. You know, um, I, 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 I tell the story of. <laughs> of Davis uh he did he played in something at Royal County Down and VJ Singh was there and I remember him saying he said to VJ hey what do you think of the golf course he goes man this is the worst golf course I've ever played <laughs> and Davis said huh I think it's the best golf course I've ever played <laughs> so here you got two two great players whose perspectives are just completely different let's you hope know? So, VJ doesn't decide to get into golf course design <laughs> Um, so anyway, um, I was So uh, we'll start to wind this down, Mark, but you know, you and you and uh, Davis have over your, you know, career as designers, especially developed a great appreciation for historic architecture, the great golf courses of the world. I'm, I'm really interested to know what a tour player, you just mentioned Vijay Singh plays what almost, you know, was universally regarded as one of the 10 best golf courses in the world. And then he says he doesn't like it. What, what does a tour player see on the golf course that people like myself who are just fans of design and architecture that we don't see or vice versa can you take me real quick through the eyes of a tour player and why some of these uh, features that that stimulate us so much pass right by them um i i think i think maybe you know there there's uh, the the way people see things and process things, uh, you know, are, are different. Um, you, you get a, 
you get a super creative person, you know, they're, they're going to maybe see things one way. You get a, another person who's a lot more analytical. They're, they're going to see it another way. You know, I think, you know, not to use VJ's example, I don't want to speak for him, obviously. Um, but, but maybe in a case like that, you know, he likes less of things that are, that are uh, left to chance. You know what I mean? He'd rather play a, a TPC uh, where, you know, it's pretty dang straightforward. You know, here's how you're going to you plot your way around um, where, you know, some of the other things are, are, are you know, you can, uh, I don't know if I'm exp- expressing that right, but, you know, you can hit a pretty good shot and you can have a very bad result. You can hit a poor shot and have a fairly good result. I think there's people who don't like that as a as a you know mm-hmm. as a whole. Um, they would rather have it be equally you know you should be rewarded for the good shot and less rewarded as the shot gets poor. And that's just sort of a different philosophy. I think it's and some of it's the the way they play possibly. Um, you know certainly there's guys who you know who like you know, narrow fairways with deep rough uh, because they're good drivers of the golf ball. And there's guys who like wide fairways with, you know, with very little rough because, you know, they, 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 they don't drive it as well. And, and, you know, they'd rather have it wide and, and uh, be able to be able to, you know, recover more, you know, I, yep. but, but I, I think it probably depends on, on, you know, the, uh, again, the, the way folks process things and, and, you know how they go about doing what they do more uh more cerebral versus uh you know detailed i guess right brain left brain type of thing it doesn't seem like davis and yourself had any problem disassociating yourself from the tour game and where you're scoring and playing for a constant score and always looking for ways to make birdie you weren't didn't have a problem detaching from that and getting into a more creative style of golf design that didn't necessarily fit, you know, Davis's game or you know the features weren't black and white and how you should play it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I definitely think so. Uh, I I think again, you know, just being influenced by sort of the, the golden age stuff, um, just appealed to him and, and, and also to me and, and, um, uh, and and again, the fact that you know he likes a lot of different styles, um, as long as you know, as long as it's uh, you know, sort of strategic and fun, you know. Yeah. Um, One of your most important moments and probably greatest moments was the '97 PGA at Winged Foot that Davis won, and you were on the bag that week. Davis won by five strokes, uh, shot 66 in the final round. What was what was he doing? so well that week and on top of that what makes wingfoot such a a great golf course well um you know i think it's i I, it's very much a ball strikers golf course i mean you can you know a great short game is 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 certainly you know will carry you a long way there but uh, he was driving his ball extremely well he was controlling his distances extremely well, and he and he putted good. You know, with Davis, kind of the ball striking was always going to be there, but he's known as a good ball striker. And I, th- I think it's a ball striker's golf course. I mean, you know, you've got to you got to put yourself in the fairway so that you 
can then control control your ball going into the greens because you have to put it on the right in the right places on the greens. I'm not that caliber of golfer. I've played a good deal of golf at Wingfoot, but and I love it. But you know, I'm not trying to hit it. You know, 15 feet short and right of a flag, or I might be trying to, but I can't necessarily pull it <laughs> off. You know what I'm saying? But um, but you know, you you got to understand you know those greens and, and and where you need to put the ball in order to give yourself an opportunity. I mean, you take. You know, you take the second hole, for example, at Wingfoot, and you get a back right, you know, a semi-back right pin placement. You've got to put the ball, you know, 30, 40 feet left and just short, left of the bunker, short, putting right up the, the little gap. You hit it 15 feet, 18 feet behind the hole, and you're not stopping it, you know. It's it's that kind of thing, being able to control control your ball all the way around the golf course. And that and that's what he was doing at the time. Um, also had to hold putts, but but his ball striking, you know, always good, but was exceptionally good that week. Right. We just talked about Wingfoot, and I, I've been asking everybody this question. What's the best modern course that you've seen? Oh, gosh. Best modern course that I've seen. That's 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 a tough one. Um, Are there some? Can you think of some candidates? I'm not always great with uh, with remembering names of things. I think um, I, I you know I haven't played Sandhills, um, so I can't put that in the in the mix. I would imagine that I would think that was in in that realm. You need, I haven't seen you need a couple to get of out there, Mark. But what's that? You, you should get out there. He said, "Yeah, I know. I need to. I, I, I've had a few opportunities and hadn't managed to get it yeah. done yet. But I do need to get out there. Um, I can't. I can't tell you how many how many you know great modern golf courses I've played. I mean, I do love the Corn Crenshaw course at Streamsong. Do you like that better than the the Tom Doak's course? Um, you know, I, I like them both, but um, but I, I I tended to enjoy the 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 red. Uh, I think it's the red. Yeah, the, uh, the red course. The, the core the core Crenshaw uh, uh, a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm we're actually playing in the Invitational down there in January, so I'm going to get to see Gill's course. Oh yeah. Um, I, I to to be honest, I hadn't I just hadn't played that many that many of the new golf courses that would be candidates. Um, and 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 I'm I'm drawing a blank on what I what I would consider uh, my favorite uh, newer golf course. Um, what about what about a Pete Dye course? Have have you seen a lot of his work? And what do you like? Obviously, Harbor Town. You could say that. Right. Oh yes. I mean, I love Harbor Town. I just think I, I'm I'm always amazed at. I mean, every time I'm there, and we're going to try to do use a lot of those elements here if if we can pull it off. But um, amazed at the. How much is going on um, in in terms of again your strategies and where you got to put your ball on the greens, et cetera, uh, and around the greens with so little elevation change? You know, I mean, it's not like there's a lot of stuff that's really high, but it's it's just right. You know, um, the size of the greens, the the strategy of things. Uh, I, I truly, really, really enjoy that golf course. Um, you know, I, TPC has grown on me um, a lot over the years. Uh, I, I really enjoy playing TPC. I do too. Um, 
you know, I played uh, his golf course, Pete Dye Golf Club in West Virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, I think is a really, really neat, fun golf course. So, I mean, I, I definitely think that that he was, you know, he 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 kept pushing the envelope a little bit um, and did some things that get a little severe and a little crazy, maybe, but. But I think he's certainly of, of that generation, the modern architects. I think he was probably, you know, he would be my vote for the for you know the best of that the, that era. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, now, re- if renovations count, I don't know if renovations count, yeah. but you know, I, I absolutely loved uh, the North the LA renovation that Gil did. Mm-hmm. Um, really? That jumped. That jumped right up into into my you know top five or ten yeah i haven't been there but that looks spectacular so i have to another have to, course that looks great I on television get out more yeah. <laughs> <laughs> got to get you to sand hills at the very least so what golf hole specifically or golf course are you on where you said this is it this is as good as it gets this is where i want to be where what is that place or that hole you know, I think um, I can think of a couple of instances. Um, I think I, I at Gullen at one point, um, and I don't know. I think it's Gullen one, but I'm not can't be held to that. But you play up a little gap in the a little valley. I think it's the second hole, and you get to the top of it, and then all of the all of the golf courses is out below you with the sea in the distance. Um, that was a moment for me that, that I was, I kind of had that feeling of, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else in the world. Um, let's see. Diamante. I get that feeling. Oh, good. Um, on the, the third tee of Diamante. Um, ah, there's a tee at Waterville, even though, there's there's been some some changes to it that you know I'm, uh, I'm not 100 percent sure about but um I think it's the, maybe it's the 17th or the I think 16th or 17th at Waterville it's just a spectacular spot but it's usually one of those spots where you know where you can see a whole lot of the golf course and and you know and usually the sea <laughs> um, not always that um, helps absolutely though. I absolutely loved um the national golf links um mm. the I've only played it once and when I played national golf links I kind of thought all right that's 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 what golf's all about right there just so much fun all the way around um in my yeah, you in my opinion you can't pick a hole out there it's the it's the whole everything how everything's sequenced together yeah yeah well, you mentioned earlier uh, in our conversation that uh, that time that your firm was away from designing golf course, you really missed it. So it's good to hear that y'all are busy again and you've got some fun projects coming up. Appreciate your time, Mark. It's always good to talk to you. Well, thank you a bunch. And uh, same here. I enjoyed the conversation and uh, hopefully we can uh, we can get to one of them together at some point. Yeah. Have, you, have, you been to, have you been to Atlantic Dunes at Sea Pines yet? Not yet. That's on my list this yeah. uh, spring, I believe. All right. Well, let me know if you're if you're there's a time you look like you're going that way, and I'd, I'd love to meet you there. I'll definitely be uh, down at I come down to Sea Island quite a bit, so I can't wait to see your work at Plantation. That's that's a pretty exciting move there. 
Yeah, yeah, it's going to be. It's going to be fun. And maybe this will get you into the podcast and listening to podcasts now. There's a lot of good ones out there, and you can. this could be your first one. Oh, <laughs> thank you. I'll get on there and start listening. All right. Thanks, Mark. Good talking to you. All right. Okay, that was Mark Love. I thought he was very candid, very forthcoming, and, you know, he, he's just a cool guy. Um, I wanted to go back and talk for a second about rice fields. We, it came up in the podcast. The golf course is located at a place called Hampton Island Preserve, which is 30 or 40 minutes south of Savannah. It was developed in the mid-2000s, and the golf course actually opened in 2006. It was a high-class, really upscale community. They sold lots with you know lots of acreage around them. They were hoping people would come and build large ha- homes. Uh, there were stables for horses. They had community gardens, uh, chefs. You could uh, dock your boat at the marina because it had uh, the marina had access to the Atlantic Ocean through different intercoastal channels. And when the bottom fell out of the economy in 2008, the whole development just stalled. So. Uh, for the last almost coming up on 10 years now, it just kind of sat there. There are a few people who bought homes and lived there. Ben Affleck had a, had some property there. He may still. Um, the golf course opened for a very short period of time, but it's really just kind of in a, a state of suspension right right now. The golf course has been minimal, minimally maintained. It's probably pretty overgrown. It's been a while since I was there. Um, but it's just sitting there waiting. It's a fascinating golf course. Uh, the property itself isn't that great. It's fairly flat. Uh, it does butt up against the intercoastal marshes. But the the shaping and the features on the golf course are outstanding. The greens feature all kinds of swales and, and ramps and rolls and wings. Um, there's a punch bowl green. Uh, there are some kind of half-pipe tubing effects on the greens. The fairways are wide. Everything's set on an angle or an axis. And the bunkering is very detailed and artistic, too. It's a little bit like early George Thomas at Riviera, maybe a little bit of certain Tillinghast courses thrown in there. And the most interesting part of the property is a circle of holes that runs out right on the edge of the land, right by the marshes. The whole part of the seaboard through Georgia and South Carolina, historically, uh, it was a region where they, they grew rice. So I think originally they were actually going to try to plant rice at Hampton Island Preserve and grow it there. But what Davis and, and Mark and their guys did was try to recreate a rice paddy feature around this swamp out on the edge of the land. So holes, I think it's... Uh, 11, 12, 13, and 14 circle uh, a low area, and they built these these elevated dikes, kind of this dam system that begins inside this, the lowland area and extends into the holes and around the perimeter of the holes. Uh, so, for instance, the par 4, or excuse me, it's a par 5, 13th hole, plays fairly straight, but on the right there are these high, sharp embankments, uh, maybe 6, 7 feet high, and then the green is kind of set up on top of one, too. And then the hole that Mark was describing, the par 4 14th, you tee off and play out to a fairway where this dike system kind of cuts in. It's almost like there's a, a cross. These two dikes intersect in the fairway, so you have these, this high-low action. And when you get to the green, it's a large green with a spine running left to right across the middle. It's an inverted Biritz, like uh, Mark said. And he said that, you know, Davis was proud that they, he, you know, he didn't say it, but Davis said that they, he was happy they had the balls to build that. They'd actually did something like that at another golf course. Just south on I-95 South, it's like one exit south of Brunswick. They built a golf course a few years before that called Sanctuary Cove. Fred Couples is listed as a co-designer on that or even the lead designer. You know how that goes. But it's really the the Love Golf team that designed this course. The 
whole golf course is full of a more of a Rainer-esque field. Uh, greens are squared off with uh, sharp shoulders, grass-faced bunkers, uh, squared-off bunkers, bunkers that come into the line of play through the fairway, creating a lot of left-right movement and, and angles. Um, a lot of uh, greens set on angles with a lot of contour. And there's one hole. It's a par three. I think it's the fourth hole. Uh, you play out to the uh, quite deep narrow green and running across the middle of the green from left to right from like nine o'clock to three o'clock is this elevated bump that crests so dividing the green into a front half and a back half so again it's an inverted beer it's concept it's really an interesting feature and kind of a precursor for the one they did at rice fields so it's good to see love design back in the game now they're one of the underrated design firms in the country but they do exceptional work Uh, i'm looking forward to see what they do on these upcoming projects hoping they continue to push the creativity and push boundaries Mark Love is certainly happy to be back with his design hat on. So, Mark, thanks for coming on. It was great to talk to you. Remember to visit FeedTheBall.com for news on upcoming podcast episodes. I'll also be putting up uh, new content on that website periodically. Please follow me on Twitter and Instagram if you'd like to. It's Derek Duncan, or you can search for FeedTheBall. And if you've been enjoying the podcast, please subscribe to it on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. Just go to the app on your phone, search FeedTheBall, and hit the subscribe or plus button. I also want to thank the Sundogs for giving me the uh, intro and outro music on these episodes. Go ahead and check them out on iTunes or wherever else you get your music. Thanks again for listening. They're going to take us out today with a song called Believe. Try